0: This podcast is a project of the Climate Designers Network.
1: Hey, this is Eric. Welcome to another exciting episode of Climify, where we discuss the role of industry, specifically climate entrepreneurship, in tackling issues around climate. Industry and manufacturing account for 23% of U.S. climate greenhouse gas emissions. It's the third largest emitter. So it's clear industry has a big responsibility to be doing better. Lauren Cha is a climate entrepreneur. She helped start a fabric and fashion company called The New Norm, for she believes industry can do better, and her passion for climate action and sustainability could be achieved as a founder. Like me, she was inspired by circular design as defined in the book, Cradle to Cradle, where biological or technical nutrients should be the basis for how things are made. Lauren is focused on the idea of a technical nutrient. In this case, those red plastic party cups that we see everywhere after college parties or sporting events, littering the ground and overwhelming our garbage cans. I've always found this to be obviously disgusting and wondered how we could change our own behaviors to not focus on using single-use objects. Lauren admits her company is not the silver bullet answer when it comes to mitigating The fast fashion impact on our climate. But it's a fantastic way to continue our progress toward a circular economy. I'm inspired by Lauren and her determination to do good in this world. And I hope you are too.
2: Hi, my name is Lauren Chet, and I am the founder of The New Norm. We are a startup recycling plastics into sustainable yarns and fabrics. And we specifically target plastics that are not commonly recycled. Um, So our signature material is made from the iconic red party cup that you see at just about any social event. And we've been working on this for the last four or five years now. Um, And you can learn a little bit more about what we do on our website, which is called thenewnormfabric.com. And we're also on Instagram. It's at Fabric. And we also recently just launched on TikTok, which has been fun. So for the past two weeks, we've been posting more videos about kind of behind the scenes, how we do what we do. And that is also at the new North Fabric. Um, So, yeah, feel free to check it out.
1: Well, Lauren, welcome to Climify. Um, Excited that you are here, you have uh, some amazing projects going on, and I can't wait to talk about them.
2: Yeah, really excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, no problem. It's uh, it's fun to uh, do these conversations, uh, especially since I wasn't aware of you before uh, this, and uh, finding out more about you has been um, just really exciting to see oh, someone doing <laughs> good work like this, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So the, the big thing that you're doing, which you talked about in your introduction, was the new norm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And can you walk us through how that started? How did you start new, the new norm and, and why did you start it? I think you started it when you were an, an engineering undergraduate student. Is that right? At, at John Hopkins. Yeah. And uh, can you talk more about that and how, how it all came to be?
2: sure i'll I'll start at the beginning um yes, i I was studying materials engineering at Johns Hopkins at the time. Um, I went into college really passionate about sustainability, but didn't really know what that entailed and how I could pursue it. Um, and materials engineering seemed to be a field where so much innovation was happening um across so many different industries, and so that's what really excited. Me about that field, um, but when it came down to founding the new norm, a couple things were happening in the world that kind of led to me wanting to pursue this specific problem. Um, one thing at the time, I was working at a swimwear brand, uh, which for a lot of students studying materials engineering, that's not typically what they're doing. Yeah, on the no, <laughs> site.
0: Um,
2: but yeah, it was like an LA-based brand direct to consumer, you know, on Instagram with a website. So yeah, got to see that whole, um, you know, the whole design process, sourcing, uh, manufacturing. They were producing everything in the LA garment district. Um, so yeah, a bit unusual, but I always recommend, you know, doing something a little outside of your studies or your field. Yeah, kind of weird help. is
1: good. I, I like being weird. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was happening. Um, but in the world, uh Kind of two big things were coming to light. One, in 2018, the National Sword Policy came into place um, and really brought to light that the U.S. lacked domestic recycling infrastructure. Um, We relied heavily on shipping our waste overseas, mainly to China. Right. Uh, And that is a time when a lot of, you know, news articles were coming out about, wait a minute, we don't have domestic recycling solutions. Um, when that policy came into place, China essentially stopped accepting our recyclables. And then our landfills and our waste management system was really overwhelmed. Um, and someone who recycled like crazy, um, I was shocked because I was like, I I assumed every time I put something in the blue bin, it was being turned into something else. And that is unfortunately rarely the case. Um, the, f- the other thing happening at the same time is also a lot of media coverage on the fashion industry and how polluting it is. And I think a lot of people have heard this line now of fashion is the second largest polluting industry after oil and gas. That wow. really was the headline for that entire year when it came to fashion. Um, and so those... Kind of all of those things happening um, led me to start doing some research on, wait a minute, mm-hmm. how how can we recycle? how can we solve a problem at the intersection of a couple different industries and a couple different problems happening all at the same time? Um, and I probably around a year later, spent a summer building an extruder in my garage
1: an extruder
2: yes tell us uh, about
1: what an extruder is for some of us who yeah
2: do- <laughs> yeah it well what i was creating was like a small machine it took plastic as an input and then recycled it into a filament for yarn um those are kind of the basic steps i i had never built a machine before.
0: (laughs) But
1: you're an engineer, so it must have been easy.
2: Oh, uh, no. It it was uh, probably one of the most difficult things I did at the time just because, yeah, I had never built anything before. Um, Was really lucky to, you know, rely on a lot of YouTube videos and textbooks and articles and things like that but pretty much figured it out from scratch. Everything from the wiring to the spooling mechanism to like, how do you cut metal and weld it together? Very basic um, steps that I had never done before. Um, But the machine did not work for that entire summer. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much uh, charred the inside of it. It was completely burnt, did not work. Um, so at the end of that summer, I took it back to school with me. Um, and at, at Hopkins, we had a maker space, um, a metal shop. And so I've, I assembled a team of mechanical engineers, a couple environmental engineers, and we started putting the machine back together, the the pieces that I had completely burnt. Um, and the party cup, aspect of what we do that's kind of the unique thing so seven over seven billion uh red party cups are are used annually and oh. those are one of those plastics that just don't get recycled here in the u.s um and so being back on a college campus you're i mean you're surrounded by party cups at yeah. in just like about any social setting. <laughs> and so,
1: as a professor i see them
2: every, yo, <laughs> i'm <laughs> sure Sure you do. Yeah. They're they're everywhere. Um, so yeah, that's what inspired that idea. And and once I had kind of uh put the machine back together, we put a party cup into it and it processed very well. And that is what started, you know, this it's been like, yeah, four or five years now. It's kind of what kicked off this this entire journey. So yeah.
1: Well, that was super smart because you had something right around you that you see (laughs) on a daily basis and it's Mm -hmm. not going back into the system like it Mm -hmm. it should. So you found a way to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I I think college, that setting is such a good place to test out things. It's, um, you know, its own little ecosystem. You have, um, you know, so many people using this material and we ended up running a pilot collection program to kind of just test out, hey, does this does this work? Can we get enough of this material? Are people using as much as we think they are? Um, and so we went to a bunch of student organizations and we were like, hey, we're going to give you a giant red trash can <laughs> that looks that makes like sense. a big red, red, cup, red trash party cup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know... After the weekend, we're going to come pick up your old cups. Um, adoption was really slow initially. I can imagine yeah. Um, and you know, the hypothesis was like, wait, we are not collecting all of the cups. And so we started um posting the stats on social media of the different organizations that had signed on to this collection program. And all of a sudden, people were like reaching out and saying who's running our organizations program like maybe I should step up into this position or like wait a minute I think we're using way more like let me let me make sure everybody knows about this and it kind of spread by word of mouth um and then all of a sudden we were collecting thousands of cups wow every month and Hopkins is a campus of four or five thousand undergrad Mm -hmm. and so the fact that, you know, from, you know, the five or six clubs we had onboarded, we were getting, you know, 5,000 cups a month. Jeez. Um, it Yeah. It just really goes to show how many um, party cups are being used, even in a small test environment. So,
1: yeah, well, that makes me feel good that people in that age group mm-hmm. saw that online and and reacted positively to it. Yeah. Like, wow, no, it maybe it wasn't shame, but it was like, we know better. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Then it makes me feel bad that there's so many cups. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all experienced that. Oh, like let me put, you know, a drink inside of a cup. Oh, I place it on a table. I don't know where it went because they all look the same. And then I get another cup and it's, it's the epitome of that like single use plastic. Like you Mm -hmm. are really only using it. Once and sometimes forgetting. Yeah, t-
1: you picked the right yeah. thing because I feel like <laughs> it's it's all over the yards here after parties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: So.
1: Yeah. But you were using um at John Hopkins when when you got the new norm project idea. You were in part of an accelerator. Yeah. Business accelerator. Um is it called Fast Forward U? Was that the name yes. of it?
2: Yeah. So what's uh, that all
1: about? How did that help you?
2: Yeah, so I I didn't know what an accelerator was um, until I found Fast Forward. It's actually at Hopkins, when I joined the program, it had only been like two or three years old. I think some other colleges and universities have more established programs. But um, yeah, I know Fast Forward in the last you know few years now has grown into a great accelerator program that's open to undergrads, grad students, um, I think even faculty can, you know, participate. And I mean, there are so many different accelerators is what I've learned over the years. But the kind of general concept is if you have a business idea, um, a program will help you develop a business model. I knew nothing. I, you know, I wasn't studying business in school. I didn't know how to create a pitch deck or write um, a grant application, or, you know, there are actually all of these business plan competitions um, for, you know, college and university students. So I, it was just an area I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to them and kind of told them about this idea, uh, they provided so many resources, um, not only kind of, you know, help with the business side of things, but they also had a maker space. And that's where I ended up housing the machine in the back corner. They were very generous to let me just let it there for, you know, two whole years.
1: Uh, <laughs> the burnt out machine. that
2: you... Yeah. Yeah. Brought it, fixed it up. Um, and it. yeah, it lived in the corner there for probably a couple of years.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. I think that my university has a number of accelerators, um, two or I think two.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: a makerspace, many makerspaces, probably too many potentially, but um, I'm wondering about in your perspective, as you were going through your engineering curriculum at there at John Hopkins, uh, how do you think maybe an accelerator could be built into a degree program, especially mm-hmm. with the idea that you had? I could imagine other students feeling like, oh gosh, I f- I feel like I have something here.
2: Yeah. I've thought about this a bit because, so I think depending on the major, at least I can only speak, you know, for Johns Hopkins, but there were some majors with really great design team programs. And at Hopkins, what that meant was, you know, you form a team of students. Sometimes there's, you know, a faculty lead who's like a mentor or an advisor. Um, And it's very hands-on. You're solving a problem. You're identifying it, figuring out what your solution is. Um, Sometimes it's about building like a physical product or a device. And there were other majors that had that kind of program built in to the degree. Um, Materials engineering just didn't have that strong of a presence. Um, And I think having a design team or a kind of design program is very important in that it's hands-on like this was the first time it wasn't theoretical anymore it wasn't like oh I'm studying um looking at you know slides that a teacher is presenting and then you know taking notes and studying my notes this was the first time I got to build something with my hands and as you do that you realize oh my god there are so many more problems that I never would have thought of um yeah and once you, you get down always, to it yeah yeah And you don't always get that when you're, you know, writing an essay or taking an exam. So um, I think it's it's important to have that kind of hands-on component.
1: Well, you are working in multiple different intersections here with the new norm. You're in this technology and and engineering discipline. You're in circular design. You're in the climate and fashion. How do you give all of those some sort of equal attention, or do you not give them that um, they're at the new norm
2: yeah it's it's a lot of moving parts. like I think each step of our process is, as you mentioned, kind of a different industry altogether. It is, yeah. we have plastics, that's the plastics industry. We are recycling those plastics. Those are actually totally different, like the recycling folks and the plastics folks you would think they're more, you know, more similar, but there isn't always a ton of overlap there. Mm. Um, and so recycling is a whole separate thing. Then we have, uh, you know, fibers creating yarns. Those are different, you know, manufacturers and and players in that space. And then you have fabric people who are, you know, as much as yarn and fabric overlap, those are also separate yeah. um, entities and then you have, yeah, the ultimate like end user, which could be fashion. Um, I think a lot of people also forget textiles go into a whole lot of other industries as well. So you have automotive, you have upholstery. Uh, yeah. I was going to say cars. Per- yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everything we touch, sit on, wear is made out of some kind of textile. And um, it's, it's sometimes hard to back up and be like, oh, wow, we, we use textiles for so many different.
1: And uses? Have uh, you thought about, um, I'm thinking about right now when you said cars, mm-hmm. uh, the EVs that are going to be hitting the roads more and more yeah. here in the US. And there's been some critiques about those. And I'm wondering if you've thought about from the new norm perspective of getting involved from a fabric perspective with the cars.
2: Yeah, I, I think we're, you know, as we are scaling production, definitely thinking about, okay, we don't want to ever limit to just fashion. I think fashion has that more glamorous, you know, um, appeal to it. But yeah, I mean, automotive is is huge. Um, I think what's unfortunate is, I think the general consensus is that automotive is tough to break into, um, there are so many specifications. I think there's not a lot of fast development and movement. Um, fashion is pretty, you know, surprisingly slow in terms of adopting new technology, but it does there is a a very public push right now for fashion to change mm. its ways that I don't think other end products are getting as much attention like people aren't passionate about sofas and mattresses being made <laughs> from you know more sustainable materials, but yeah. they want a jacket that's made from you know something cool. So it's it's something we're thinking about um, and kind of trying to be more and more aware of um, but yeah, I think we were focusing on kind of scaling our capabilities so that if we are to work with a larger, Whoever it is, we'd be able to actually provide material. Um, but yeah, going going back to your original question, I think we need to give each of those things equal focus. Mm-hmm. In some ways, um, I think it's really important to think about the end user, which in our case is. Someone who's going to be sewing a garment and designing something that's going to be worn by a person. Right. Um, you need a material that's going to feel good. And, you know, do you need stretch? Do you need it to drape a certain way? Um, so I think it's important to design ultimately for that. But at the same time, we have to design for circularity. We're doing a lot of things. Are considering a lot of things that are going into the product um, even before it gets to that finished fabric, um, and so for example, you know we are using recycled materials. Um, we are currently only manufacturing in the U.S. We have a very local supply chain, which eliminates the carbon emissions associated yeah. with shipping That's overseas smart. and transportation, which. Um, I not to go off on a tangent, but BBC recently tracked the journey of like a Zara shirt. And it it, must
1: be terrible.
2: It traveled over 10,000 miles before getting to the store. Um, So country to country for creating the fibers, dyeing the fabric, cutting the garment, you know, each step was in a different country. Yeah. Um, So right now we're trying to keep it as local as possible. We do all of our production in the US. Um we are sticking to filament yarns and microfiber shedding is a really big hot topic, right? Yeah, now. I'm glad
1: you brought that up because yeah. I was wondering about that.
2: Yeah. Um I mean it is not the final solution, but filament yarns, there are kind of two major groupings of yarns. You have filament yarns and then you have spun yarns. So even the T-shirt we're both wearing right now—if you see those tiny yes. little fibers coming off of it—that's mm-hmm. spun yarn. So that means all these little fibers are being spun together. Um, those fly off in the laundry machine very easily. Yes. Um, filament yarns don't shed as much. That is just you know been researched and studied. There are certain brands now trying to you know push only filament yarns. Um, but we, as users of clothing, love that soft feel. We want stretch. We want it to be cozy and squishy. And um, I think that is where filament yarns are a little limited. They don't give those properties. And so do we want comfort or do we want, you know, less shedding? I think is going to be, right. it's, it's, a, it's a big uh, debate. Um
1: I do own a shirt that's made out of recycled PET like
0: mm, water mm-hmm.
1: bottles and it's very soft. So I'm I'm guessing it's not filament then based on your description. Well,
2: a lot of clothing isn't. I mean, it's not, you know, the only test you can do, but really if you look at your clothing and you can see kind of any little fibers. Um
1: <laughs> Yeah. Mine's probably cotton. I think this is cotton. So
2: cotton is a spun a spun yarn. Yeah, okay. So, so still
1: something comes off.
2: Yeah. Um, and that's the thing; it's both natural and synthetic. Um, it's it's both that shed, and yeah, it it'll be interesting to see whether it's up to the big brands to start, you know, solving those issues. Is it up to users to install filters in our laundry machines?
1: Yeah, because that's that's something we can do.
2: Right. Right. Um, yeah. Isn't it, it's, it's...
1: yoga pants? I've been reading about. Mm-hmm. Um, microplastics that have gotten into our water supply from washing garments. And mm-hmm. I read that yoga pants are the one of the biggest contributors to that. Didn't know if that was true, but I'm sure that would make a lot of people unhappy if they did hear that because <laughs> they're yeah. so comfortable,
2: right? That's, that's the thing is like, I think comfort comes from, as I was kind of mentioning, like the really soft, the really stretchy, like People love a nice fluffy blanket or, you know, a nice um, you know, fuzzy jacket. And oh, it's yeah, things course. that shed the most. So um yeah, it's it's a tough, it's a tough problem. Um
1: well yeah. you're doing you're doing good work to start to solve it. So Yeah. It's, that.
2: Yeah. And and I'll say again, it is not the solution, um, but no. it is one way to mitigate. <laughs> Um, another thing we're doing is so far we've never used any chemicals or or water to dye the materials. we just uh, in a way naturally dye it by the plastic input, so got it our like our red party cups dye the material a really nice pink color um which was kind of a nice surprise honestly um and we've just stuck with it. you know we're right now as we scale, we're just not going to use. Any kind of dyeing, um, we're just going to keep it natural from from the plastic input.
1: Yeah. Well, you've been talking here just now about the things that you've been learning by running um, your company, the New Norm. And I'm as this podcast is about climate design, climate design education. I'm wondering, in your engineering education at Johns Hopkins, did the topic of climate change come up? Did they talk about sustainability and materials? How has that helped you um, at the accelerator and then in your company?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think the degree gave me a great foundation of just like, you know, materials engineering, materials science. I feel like that foundation has allowed me to do what I'm doing, Um I think I self-selected into a lot of sustainability courses and um I think those were offered at school which was great like I took a renewable energy engineering course and a course on recycling not just plastics but you know metal glass other types of materials as well um there was you know a a sustainable design class and so I think more and more those are being offered which is
1: that's good Great. to hear. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We need it. We need it. Yeah. And it, it makes you think in a different way. A lot of times I think these courses are mixed in with more of a, a global lens or a, um, you know, developing outside of the U.S. lens. And I think that's also very helpful to think about what are some of the problems we're facing globally, not just specifically here mm-hmm. at home. Um. But yeah, I think the accelerator one so after Hopkins, um, a few years later, I participated in the Halcyon accelerator. And yeah,
1: you've been in a couple now, haven't you?
2: I've been in a couple, I guess. <laughs> um,
1: that's a good thing. It means that, you know, people like what you're doing and they want to support it.
2: It's it's been very helpful validation. And I do think, you know, without that kind of like, okay, yes, like we validate what you're working on. Like to me that was also momentum to keep going and mm-hmm. I um, with Halcyon they are specifically though only for impact driven ventures um, social impact environmental impact and I think being around other startups that were you know had that impact driven model built into what they were doing and you know getting training and um, kind of advice on how to build an impact driven model was was very helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Seemingly, because you're still going at it and uh, you're doing good work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Still, still working. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm thinking here from a an educator perspective, doesn't mm-hmm. have to be design, but educator perspective. And I'm seeing maybe um, just theoretically here, I'm seeing a student doing very interesting work on a project I assigned. I have done Assignments in the past where I've said, let's start a B corporation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're going to be branding it, coming up with a mission and vision and what you're producing. What advice would you give to maybe an educator who sees a student like you with a great idea that should live outside of the classroom? Are, mm-hmm. are accelerators the best thing for them? Or what what do you suggest uh we do?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um I Yeah, I think accelerators are one helpful tool. Like for me, getting access to all of those resources that I didn't even know existed um, was what allowed me to take this further and outside of the university sphere. Um, I mean, I can't deny that grant funding really helped with that initial transition, Um and I guess you know I could not have found those resources without an accelerator program. Yeah. Uh, to date, the new norm has been all grant funded. It's all of the product development and R and D that we do it would not be possible without grant funding. And so,
1: congratulations! Uh, That's great.
2: Thank you. Yeah. No, it's it's been um, like very very helpful along the way um, because a lot of this kind of initial testing and um, these lab trials are very costly. And as a student, there's just almost no way that an individual yeah. <laughs> of be able no, to do yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I I remember graduating and being like, okay, if if we're able to, you know, get certain grants, then I can do formal product development without it. I there's just no way I could have yeah, no way I could have done that. Good
1: luck. Yeah.
2: Um and then I think one thing I found more and more helpful each year is just talking to folks in industry that have decades more experience than I.
1: Did that happen through the classes and Accelerator or on your own?
2: Um, I would say a mix of both. I think the Accelerator connected me to a lot of great, um, you know, alums who had started startups or who had been kind of working in different industries. But I do think that I, over the years, it it has always gone this way where you meet one person and they say, oh, I think you should talk to this other person. And you talk to that person and they're like, oh, wait a minute, let me connect you to this person. And I I think that's very valuable um, because you just get a way more full picture of, oh, these are all the different things that people are working on and everything that goes into, into solving a, a problem. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, what kind of advice do you have for maybe the student now or maybe anyone who's thinking about being a climate entrepreneur? Mm. Um, you know, obviously yeah. they can start that in college like you did, but what what um, happens after?
2: Yeah, what happens after? And oh, oh my God, I, I could answer this question for like a straight hour. I've <laughs> thought about this a lot. We'll try to cap um,
1: it at a few minutes. How about that?
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there are so many ways you can pursue um a startup. And I think that's one thing I didn't know as a student. I kind of I don't know where this mentality came from, but this like okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in. And I think you need that mentality, but I think that we live in a world now that is so flexible there's so many resources that, you know, I I wish someone told me when I was graduating like, "Hey, it's okay to you know as a student take a step back and kind of you know you don't have to do everything right now in the moment yeah. or um i've met so many founders um now over the years that you know worked a full time job and had their idea on the side and were like okay i'm just going to keep tinkering with this until i feel comfortable to make that leap because I will say the startup lifestyle comes with immense risk. It is not glamorous. The day-to-day is a lot of problem solving. It's not all about raising money and having investors and scaling quickly. And and sure, that is for some people. I just think now with maybe with TV and movies, that's been blown out of proportion. Like when, the
1: shark tank. I feel like your life is like the shark yeah, tank.
2: Yeah. But, it, it, but it's not. It's not. And... <laughs> I've actually now met a bunch of people that have gone on Shark Tank, and that behind the scenes is so fascinating. Oh my gosh! Um, it is once again not what you see on TV. The you know the behind the scenes comes with way more uncertainty. Are they going to air the show or not? You know, if they say they inv- they're going to invest, are they actually going to invest? Right, yeah. There's is contracts. They're going to pull through. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: so yeah, I would just say you know it is not. It is. Um, it comes, yeah, with a lot of risk and a lot of uncertainty. And I think there are ways to do it that are not, yeah, that kind of, you know, glamorous TV version of it. Um, So, but yeah, I would say also, like, if you're a student considering it, I think while you're a student, that's the best time to try something. You have so many resources. Um, I think, part of it though is searching for those resources yeah. i they're not they would not have naturally just come to me i didn't even know about them i think it's a lot about asking questions and kind of doing some digging and um meeting new people um
1: you have to really care about what you're doing for you yeah. to, have to spend all that time
2: definitely yeah,
1: yeah. that's yeah. a big lesson for someone who wants to do this too right it's not going to be yeah hand-
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of kind of like pushing it forward yourself.
1: We'll take a quick commercial break here and then get back to the conversation.
0: Where do young designers see themselves at the intersection of climate change and innovation and how can we teach that intersection in the classroom? Designers are problem solvers capable of imagining solutions for a more sustainable future. My name is Rachel Cifarelli, and I'm part of the Climate Designers New Wave team. In the past few years, New Wave has released two reports exploring students' experiences of climate design education, or lack thereof, and what they hope to see in their classes. Now we want you, design educators, to use this research in your classrooms. And this summer, we're giving educators a chance to talk to the New Wave team directly. Twice a month, the New Wave researchers will be available to walk you through our findings, answer any questions you have, and help you implement actionable project briefs directly into your classroom. We'll also show you how to use our media kit to easily share the research with your students and how they can sign up to be a participant. Head to climatedesigners.org slash edu slash new wave to sign up for a call with the New Wave team. Help us inform a new wave of design education, one that teaches every designer how to be a climate designer.
1: Do you feel, you know, you're a climate entrepreneur and there are other climate uh, startups happening, which is yeah. really, really promising. Do you feel like you have a greater, um, how should I put this? Do you feel like you have a responsibility to educate consumers and suppliers, manufacturers, everything in that supply chain to be progressive towards a more environmentally sustainable business model kind of teach those uh, people involved in making your product about sustainability and climate? Do you feel like you have that responsibility or?
2: Yeah, definitely. No, in a way, yes, because kind of going back to those, you know, like four or five separate industries that we're hoping to touch, like there is ultimately when you get down to like talking to these, these manufacturers or the people on the ground, there is a, a fairly large awareness gap. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of why I say textiles, recycling, fashion move very slow at the end of the, I mean, these, like when it comes to textiles and fashion, like these industries have been around for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years now, these are very old industries. Um, And as much as, you know, fashion seems to quickly change, I think the big players are pretty stuck in their ways and are now trying to get gears moving. Um, But because of that, like, for example, like when I went to our, our bigger yarn manufacturer for the first time, like they do not currently run any kind of recycled material, any kind of sustainable material. And they create, you know, 100 million pounds of yarn every year and that's on the small scale
1: that's Um, cringeworthy right there
2: (laughs) yeah and i don't i think it's yeah it's it took took like a whole year to convince them to run our trial and you know it worked and that was great and i think now there's a bit more excitement to do this kind of work but it it took a long time to you know get to know them and ultimately convince them hey like please run our recycled materials so we can create yarn out of it. Um, so yeah, there there is there is some, you know, groundwork to be done with the folks we work with one-on-one. When it comes to the consumer, that is such a big, uh, you know... I bet. I think that is up to everybody touching the consumer. Like the brands, I mean, are trying to do a lot more marketing. And I think there's been already backlash as to like oh this is greenwashing. like this is you know not actually you know saying or doing what it's saying it's doing and right um, i think what we can do and what we've you know started trying to do in a small way is show our process so as i mentioned the whole you know we launched on tiktok two weeks ago um you know to
1: follow that
2: yeah that it was you know we got a lot of views and a lot of followers very quickly, and we didn't expect uh, that kind of traction. So that's been a a fun development.
1: Kudos to you. Yeah, that's great. Um,
2: But yeah, our goal with that is just like, hey, this is how we do what we do. And this is kind of the behind the scenes um, so that we can be transparent. Yeah,
1: I was going to say you're transparent about it. And I think the power of what you're doing, because you mentioned this value action gap. So Mm -hmm. you can... Educate someone about something, but then there's this gap leading to action. Doesn't necessarily mean if they know about it, they're going to do mm-hmm. something. But when you're showing your suppliers that yeah. it can be done, and they see it because they do it, I think that's powerful. And then mm-hmm. that's where I think that real change,
2: yeah, change can yeah. Happen. yeah, yeah.
1: You also mentioned greenwashing, so I wanted to ask you about that. Um, so there's uh, a lot of Stuff out there that is greenwashing, right? We've we've seen it. So there's call for anti-greenwashing guides in in the mm-hmm. textile reuse and recycling industry. And I'm wondering there as an, an entrepreneur, where where that's happening. Um, what is your firsthand experience um, and, and some of the things that are happening in that world of greenwashing? And do you think that the circular design products offer? effective solutions to combat that mm-hmm. mis- misinformation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're pretty small scale still, so we haven't worked with, you know, the big brands that are running these large marketing campaigns. Um, going back to like grant funding and things like that, our our scaling has been pretty organic um, and maybe slower, but I think we've gotten a lot more technical validation than other people in the space. So Our goal is to get to a point where people can then, you know, plug and play with our materials instead of having to develop them further. But going back to your original um, question, I think, yeah, I've met a lot of folks who have scaled their, their solution and have hit those moments of, yeah, oh, my God, wait, a brand wants to say this about my material when it's not actually made out of that or um, it doesn't actually do this. And I think, I, I think part of it is going back to that awareness gap. Sometimes the brand and the marketing team might just not know, oh, this is actually what's happening. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to take a lot of collaboration. Um, I think it's unfortunate when it's completely false. Um, mm. but I think in what I've seen, um, sometimes it's, yeah, they, 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 Say it's made out of this material when in reality it's it's not and it's made out of something else and I think it's it's going to take some collaboration to kind of get to a point where it's like okay this is you know truly what's going on we're being transparent. Um,
1: well, I wonder with like mm-hmm. the pushback from consumers and i mm-hmm. thinking about like the organic food movement.
0: Mm-hmm. That was
1: fairly successful, I would say. And that had to do with a lot of consumer pushback. Do you f- mm. are you feeling that at all in the fashion industry and it's growing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think consumers are causing the movement entirely without that kind of consumer pushback. The fashion industry would not be transforming the way that it currently is transforming.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I think, you know, things like social media, you know, certain platforms existing, um, you know, that's a really big part of, you know, the younger generations are saying, hey, we want this. And brands are like, okay, here here we go. Now we're gonna finally get things moving along. So um, I still- Last
1: second, right? They're like, oh, we gotta do it now.
2: Yeah, I think though that's gonna take a while. Um, And that's something definitely I've seen as a startup is, yeah, the last minute, like, oh, okay, now we're going to do this. There's also a gap there with, okay, there are a bunch of these sustainable technologies starting to scale, you know, starting to get attention and funding. A lot of these solutions are not at scale, but the brand wants it at scale now. And so that's another thing where I think there's a, you know, at least a decade long roadmap ahead of brand plus startup working together to scale a technology um, and understanding where the technology is at um, we can create today you know hundreds and thousands of pounds of you know we can recycle plastic into a fabric we would need a lot of help if we were to scale that to a hundred thousand pounds right and if we still wanted to you know be cost effective in the brand's point of view so it's it's going to take some work from both sides.
1: Well, I, I agree with you. And I don't know if you know this, but I, I do um, some, some um, material science, engineering myself, and I have a mm-hmm. uh, s- sustainable um, paper
0: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: organization. I don't want to call it a business. Um, mm-hmm. But I have been approached by two very, in the past, two very large um, beauty brands saying, we want your... Corn-based paper mm-hmm. packaging
0: mm-hmm. in our
1: uh, product packaging.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, would you be interested, right? And yeah. thinking, of course, this is the whole point, right? We want to yeah. scale these things up like you're doing at the new norm. And but they wanted it yesterday, right? Like, okay, cool. Yeah. We need about a um, hundred thousand boxes made in. Yeah. Like, I could make you one to see <laughs> if it works, but yeah. I, I'm not at that scale.
2: It's. I yeah. feel that pain it's it's tough, and um yeah it's it's sad if that's like the one opportunity and it passes, and I think it did
1: pass it did it pass. it
2: it, can, it shouldn't be that way though it I should know. be an environment where it's like, okay, let's start at one, but let's get to a hundred and let's get to a thousand and um, I think that kind of collaboration is important going forward,
1: yeah, I tried the idea of like inserts like I can do
0: these. Mm-hmm.
1: That, that that would be okay to talk about. Their commitment, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: no, um, mm-hmm. didn't yeah. didn't quite work out. Unfortunately, it's
0: tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I, I asked you a question mm-hmm. just a minute ago, and it just yeah. popped in my head again. Yeah, I should respond to this question, and that is, I was asking how if you felt a responsibility,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: I uh, towards educating oh,
0: the supply mm-hmm. chain.
1: I think it's also the responsibility of people like me and the listeners in the design education area. To be continually because we are involved in manufacturing. We make things. And I feel like there's a responsibility there by the academic institutions to further this farther. So it's not just like, hey guys, good luck and your climate Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. Not enough people really know about what you're doing. So to good luck. So I I don't think that's the best way forward. So I do feel like I personally have a responsibility to help people like you.
0: Yeah.
2: And I, I guess two thoughts on that. Like one, I've actually met a lot of fashion and design students who keep saying, oh, I wish I knew more about materials. Like, I don't know how they're yeah. actually made or I wish I could design, you know, certain things myself, but I just was never taught. And I think that's where, yeah, educators are a really important, you know, part of inspiring new types of thinking and even just showing like, hey, like, exposing students to like this is what's going on this is how you can approach certain things um the flip side and this is something i've also thought about a lot like i students are in a really interesting um time in life where you've been a student um you're kind of jumping into quote the real adult world
1: yeah we call it, it the big world here at, at
2: yeah. the big yeah. world the big <laughs> the big big world. Um, And I think student entrepreneurship is really unique in that you don't have any industry experience, but at the same time, you might have the most freedom and flexibility in your life to pursue a more risky path or a different idea. And I think that jump is where if a student entrepreneur is going to pursue something, that's when the most support is needed.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: Hopkins recently launched an award, which is the biggest grant they've done to date. Um, This is the first year they're running it, and it. When I saw the post, I was like, "Oh, this is so great!" Because it's something I really would have wanted as a student, but it is a significant grant. It also pays the founder, which is you know a hot topic. Oh, yeah, yourself or not? Um, Yes, no, unique. um, I've, you know, definitely gone a few years with not paying myself and, and doing, you know, other things instead. And so it's yeah, that that leap is huge as mm-hmm. a student. And I think it's it's good that, you know, hopefully people are now, you know, setting up the right resources to be able to make that leap. If it's a startup that the student is seriously interested in pursuing, Um but yeah, I mean, I think a grant is great, but I, I'm sure there are so many other other uh, ways to to support a student founder. So yeah, though no, that that made me excited. And I saw that the other day and I was like, oh, this is...
1: Yeah, <laughs> you wish you were still there maybe to get...
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I wonder, you know, I, I've asked my students, I teach a graph, graphic in the graphic design program here at the L- University of Illinois. And I asked them, like, where does paper come from?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's shocking. I guess it was shocking to me. Like I, we basically got down to like, they knew it was from trees, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. what part of the world does it come from? Mm-hmm. And Just a lack of mis lack of understanding about it. But yeah. that's our job as educators to help them get mm-hmm. there. And I'm wondering what toolkits or, or resources can you recommend um, about materials mm-hmm. that, we could go to hmm. that you use, that you use.
2: Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, I, I don't think I have a great answer for this one because I don't, unfortunately I don't think there's a central place to find all of mm. the information. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, this might be a slightly different answer to your question. Um, But I do think that, podcasts like this one have been a great resource to me um i i mean i I think a lot of people listened to this one but how i built this like
0: how i built this
2: yeah like there are some podcasts out there that really dive into some of these topics and like people's personal experiences and what problems they faced and how they overcame them that to me is a huge resource because you're getting to hear someone's actual story, yeah, uh, and that I mean, personally, that's been very helpful to me um in it kind of expanding my understanding of certain things or or learning more. so but yeah, i i uh, I'll have to give back to you on that one about a specific tool. You're more kit. than
1: welcome to because it's yeah. a big it's a big thing that I think can help overcome, I think, some of the problems that currently exist, and that is the educators even that you had at John Hopkins they're supposed to these are the core objectives right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it'd be great to expand those to include climate
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: some of them don't have the knowledge
0: mm-hmm. yeah but
1: these resources could maybe be that bridge
0: and yeah you're yeah. right
1: hopefully climify can be helpful to,
0: uh, yeah. to yeah a yeah, couple yeah. people That's like this one <laughs> maybe
1: <Yeah>. one person <laughs>
2: yeah um yeah. i want to get
1: back to the new norm because this is okay, yeah. a project that is consuming your life and, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: passionate about it. So you talked about transparency earlier and I'm, I'm interested in how you pri- prioritize that in terms of you, you kind of alluded to this, that you provide information to mm-hmm. um, everyone involved, like the measurements, um, the evaluations of, of your maybe carbon footprint. Um, climate action that you're working on. Can you talk more about these impact metrics that you care about and and how you're doing them?
2: Yeah, I think the way I've always thought about the impact of a product or a process is that it's a lot easier to design it um, up front in a certain way than try to work backwards. Um, and I think that may be, an issue that some of the larger players are facing is that their process or their product was not designed for circularity. And then right. having to work backwards takes a long time and you have to go through levels of approval and, and whatnot. And so kind of the things I was mentioning earlier, you know, the, the material sourcing, the way in which we're creating the product, where we're, cr- we're creating the product, our supply chain, I think these are things we can control as a startup that's very small yeah. and full. And to me, that's where we can control our impact and the metrics we're looking at. Um, but at the same time, like we're not a huge company. We don't have the resources to bring in an outside consulting firm to do a whole life cycle analysis on
1: yeah. our process. Those are expensive and take time.
2: Yeah. And it's it's not, you know, something we have access to. So. Yeah, I think for us, we can control um, our product and how it's made. And I think that's where I've been pretty strict with this is exactly what we're doing and we're not really straying from.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I used a a platform called Sustainable Minds.
0: Okay. Yeah. To do,
1: um, I think it's like they give you some sort of monthly fee, but it seemed, I mean, I could afford it. So it's not.
2: If yeah, could, I'll take a look. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's actually someone I know. So okay. pushing my network, right?
2: Awesome. Yeah, that might be
1: something that's pretty helpful for you.
2: Great. Um, okay.
1: And I'm wondering, in the same breath here, are there other companies that are don't have to be in fashion, but are in fashion if you want, that are doing the work that you're striving for?
2: Mm-hmm. There are a lot of startups in this space that are getting, you know, picking up speed and getting a lot of traction right now i would say um in my mind there are like 25 30 startups at that kind of series a or b range and are you know building building out their pilot facilities or you know doing some pretty cool brand collaborations and in my mind i'd like to think we're all in the same boat where yeah. none of the technologies are exactly the same like Uh, And when I say that, I'm thinking of the folks doing like chemical recycling, like we're doing a mechanical recycling process. There are folks doing chemical recycling or looking at alternative biomaterials and, um, you know, doing just some really cool stuff in the material textile intersection. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's super cool to meet those teams and hear what they're doing and um, a lot of us are facing the same struggles, and <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to to meet uh, these these people over the past you know couple years. Um, yeah. Well,
1: as this season is all about women in mm-hmm. climate uh, yeah. action, um, when you mentioned struggles there, I'm wondering: are there any um, barriers that you faced as a female entrepreneur in this space? And do you have any advice for other? women in particular, who are hoping to emulate uh, what, yeah. you're, what you're doing.
2: I feel actually very grateful at how much support I've gotten through this process. But I will say um, being a young founder comes with its challenges. Oh, um, yeah. And I think that's another thing that's not as commonly talked about. A lot of founders are decades into their career and have done something very well for a long time and decide to spin out on their own, I um was at a conference this time last year, and it was a bunch of different startups, probably you know like 20 thirty startups were there and I was by far the youngest founder <laughs> and it was very noticeable I mean most of the folks were probably my parents' age oh no um, <laughs> And I think when you take a a step out of like, oh, a university business plan competition where everyone's a student founder, the reality is once you leave that environment, most founders are, you know, a bit older and have more credibility experience. They've done this before. They have way more connections. Um, And I think that's one thing that's been a a challenge. But that's where I think... um, you know, being younger and hopefully, you know, as a small startup, more nimble and fast on your feet. I think, you know, focusing on building strong relationships, meeting new people, um, really getting to know the people you work with. Like, I feel like I know my manufacturers very well. I've, you know, taken the time to meet people in person. Um, I think that's, important to make up for the maybe lack of, oh, I, you know, I worked with this person for the last 10 years and I know them super well. And <laughs> when I build my startup, like I can just, you know, tap into their, you know, system or their company or um so yeah, I think it's been more of a a a challenge being younger. Um but yeah, I think overall I have to be very grateful for how much support I've gotten along the way.
1: Well so. that's good to hear. I mean I've I feel like you And the other um, startups you mentioned in in Mm -hmm. your area was used like 25 to 30 or something that that's exciting to hear. And Mm -hmm. also just speaking from being a little older, that age was one where you could take a lot of risk, right? Because you didn't have the home, the mortgage (laughs) to like say, "Oh, oh, shit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe not an extended family yet. And so you could take all these risks and you're so I think that's maybe i flip the script a little bit. And... Yes, definitely. Yeah. definitely.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, I I definitely can do that now because of, you know, the lack of those kind of big responsibilities.
1: Part of me wishes to be back there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want
1: these responsibilities. I want
2: to.
0: Some...
1: <laughs> well, I'm wondering what's next for you. Uh, what's going on? Um, with the new norm going forward, uh, this this season is connected to the project drawdown roadmap. Do you do you use that? Um, do you not use that? What what's the next steps for you?
2: Yeah, um, we actually have a really exciting update, um, and unfortunately, I can't share exactly who yet. Oh, we
1: bra- breaking news.
2: <laughs> breaking news. Um. Yeah, so uh, we've finalized uh, an exciting partnership in a way with a really large plastics manufacturer. Oh, awesome! And they are one of the largest manufacturers of these party cups and took an interest in our. Now work. I know who
1: they are, but I won't say. Either.
2: Well, actually, it was surprising. I it's not who most people guess initially. Okay, um,
1: then I'm wrong.
2: Those are some fun little hints. Um, yeah,
1: we'll try to <laughs> figure yeah, it out.
2: They, um, they at a conference, saw our fabric and reached out. And it's been about a year of getting to know their team. And, and they have identified this waste stream that we're going to hopefully get to tap into and use. And um, they are now granting funding to... Further our, our our research and development, and essentially uh, a trial to get to that pilot. Um, awesome, which is really really exciting, um, huge opportunity, and it's it's really encouraging to get to know this team. I think they're really interested in innovation and sustainability, and it's it's definitely been encouraging to see that they're. Interested in this kind of work that because it is a large company. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, um, I'll be able to say who, but, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that yeah. would be fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Congratulations on that.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, in terms of roadmap, I mean, it is really, it's, I think we can always plan, but I think you sometimes just don't know what opportunities will present itself like this one. Um, But there are also a ton of opportunities that didn't end up being a big, you know, deal or a big opportunity. So it's, I think you, you have to be nimble, but also plan and kind of manage your roadmap um, simultaneously. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, 70 things at once. Can you do it? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's time for my favorite question that I ask everyone, and yeah, that is to switch roles here. And um as an as an engineer, you you probably did a lot of design projects in in school. So I'm wondering if you were uh, a design educator mm-hmm. and yeah. you had the chance to teach a project or class, knowing what you know and climate, <laughs> what would you assign uh, the students to work on?
2: I would assign essentially my, project I think I would Perfect. assign think of how to recycle a waste product so whether it be a plastic or you know something organic or whatever it is how do you recycle something into a new product that can actually be used by a consumer because as I've now mentioned a few times like it is there are so many steps to think about and I mm-hmm. think as a student Getting to work through each of those steps is such a great thought exercise. How do you retrieve the material? Who's getting the material? How is it being cleaned or processed? Or um, how is it then being turned into a new product? And then how is it getting to the customer? I mean, that's a simplified way of looking at it, but I think it is such a great exercise. And as you mentioned with, you know, thinking about like, okay, where does paper come from with your class? Like that, sometimes people just aren't thinking of no. it and what's what's actually going on and how many steps there are. So I, yeah, I would assign a version of this project essentially. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think there's another really important thing about your project in that same with paper, right? That red cup is ubiquitous everywhere, right? And you, sometimes we just don't, notice it right just mm-hmm. like with paper because yeah. we're just yeah. using paper and that's what we don't care about where it comes from but you know where did that red cup f- come from where is it going yeah. to be and
0: mm-hmm. so that's another like yeah. I
1: think great thing about uh the new norm is that they can the students can just look around them and they can if they pay attention they can see all these things that are yeah. problematic yeah 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 well, you were the perfect guest for this show in terms of oh my
0: God thank you
1: uh, yeah, in terms of uh doing what you're doing, and I think it's inspiring to the educators who are listening it was to me at least oh thank you in terms of um design right, and then building that out to to something bigger with a purpose, so I appreciate that work you're doing and I'll be a uh evangelist for the new norm uh, <laughs> I'll have to get a shirt, though. I'll have to-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: I can at least show that it can be done.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, well, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and letting me kind of share um, a bit about our story and our journey.
1: Yeah, no problem. Where can we find you online again, Lauren?
2: Yeah, so um, the website is com. And then our social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok, is at the new norm fabric. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Expect to follow from us.
2: Okay. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. Sounds good.
1: Well, thank you, Lauren. And, and I really you so appreciate good. your time. This podcast is co produced by Bianca Sandico and me. A big special thanks to Ellen Keith Shaw and Christine Pilot for their gorgeous work on our new branding. Batul Rishik and Mark O'Brien for their continued design help. Brandy Nichols and Michelle Nguyen for their strategic guidance and always supporting me on this podcast. If you enjoy the work we all do here and you have a spare minute or two, we would truly appreciate it if you left a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. The more folks that review our program, the higher the algorithm pushes up Climify in the search results. And in turn the more likely we all can learn how to become climate designers.